The series finale of the cult podcast. <laughs> but then we can do a prequel series. Stephen and Gabe before they were Stephen and Gabe. <laughs> yeah, prequel series is never seem to work, do they? No, never. It's one and done as far as I'm concerned. No such thing as a good prequel or sequel. <laughs> it's crazy. I heard Warner Brothers died. Has, yeah. Has <laughs> delayed all of their films and they're they only have enough money to like produce two films this year and so they delayed everything else isn't that insane yeah what was the one that they did don't worry darling yes it was that and and aquaman or black black adam black adam aqua black (laughs) (laughs) no there's there's a bunch of crazy stuff coming up but i'm constantly reminded how crazy the next like five months is gonna be for film content I'm just savoring television in this present moment. Yeah, you spent the last week. Week and a half. Yeah. Since Tuesday. Since the, the day after the finale of the show in question today, the purpose of our cast, I've spent the last 10 days since then binging from start to finish. Never this, before seen. No, never before seen. I've done some binging in my time, but I think this takes the cake for amount of content consumed in such a short amount of time. I'm proud of you, because there was there were moments. Well, you made this happen. There were moments when you were like, just do it without me. <laughs> just go on without me, I <laughs> can't do it. I'll never make it. <laughs> it's not worth it. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I, it'd be impossible to do without you, because I think the show is so beautiful and nuanced that it'd be impossible to do this podcast unless you had seen it, so. Yeah, I knew I would, well, I, mean, I was saying those things, but I knew I would never really pass it up. Yeah, because I know this is uh, both in and of itself, and as part of the larger world mm-hmm. that was created 15 years ago, is a monolith in modern television. You know, I yeah. love that word. I've probably said that word too many times recently, but I've never meant it more than I do right now. Yeah, I think. I mean, when it comes to television history, there's only a few shows that you could point to saying like these were potentially the best shows ever made. It's like Sopranos and the wire. And you know, one of them is breaking bad and it would be a shame to not talk about this show together. Like, and made the effort and taken the time to watch the show and then discuss it. So, yeah. And I, I do feel obviously like, obligated. well, I was going to say, I regret, that I couldn't have been there from the beginning. Mm. I feel like a lot of people weren't. When when Better Call Saul, which there's our title drop, it's what we're reviewing today. What? Analyzing, yeah, it's Better Call Saul. We're doing what? When they first announced that show years ago, yeah, after Breaking Bad, I think a lot of people were thinking the same thing. They're like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, yeah. obviously everyone knows how brilliant Vince and his team are, yeah. but I don't think anyone was like over the moon about it. But I wish I could have been there from the start, you know, to see that every year, every week, building this experience like we did with so many other TV shows in the past. And I'm usually late to the train, admittedly, like all the great television of my adult life, you know, whether it was like uh, Lost or game of thrones yeah exactly game of thrones i came in 
late or I came in after the fact. Yeah. And so it was kind of surreal uh, spending the last two weeks watching six seasons of such a high caliber show. Like a monolithic show almost. You might say it was a bit of a monolith. <laughs> yeah, um, because it was so much to take in. It's like eating a lot of good cake. At once, yeah. <laughs> Having it and eating it too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only, yeah. <laughs> Thank Netflix for holding on for this long to those five seasons and then, you know, catch up on the final season. Yeah. I never had any doubt that this was going to be a great show. I consider, and and you got to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say, I consider Breaking Bad to be <gasps> technically the best show ever made. Technically. From start to finish. Yes. It's not my personal favorite show. The Wire is. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, my tastes often more lean more towards sci-fi. But if I was to try to, as objectively as possible, say this is the best show ever made, I think Breaking Bad might take the cake. The nice. one you just ate all at once. Right. And have it too. But so Better Call Saul, when... It was announced, I was stoked, and I watched the first season as it aired. Yeah. And then I decided I'm not going to watch it again <laughs> until it's done. And so I waited until this year for the few months up to the finale to spend a lot of my free time, and I think we've mentioned it before on previous episodes, watching Better Call Saul to get caught up so that I could watch the finale live, which is exactly what I did. And I watched it on that Monday night, and then the next day I said, "You gotta watch it." And I and I uh, took upon some extra work myself at work, the place that we work, uh, for you, <laughs> to be able to have space and time and room to binge it. Because I, I like I said, I, I do not think we could accurately represent the amazingness of this show without being able to equally have seen it and dialogue about it. So yeah, I think we should first talk about Breaking Bad. What do you think? Yeah. I don't remember it as vividly as you do, probably. As are most things in life. <laughs> yeah. In, for, in my mind, it's all uh, monochromatic. But. Well, I think the thing that matters most is talking about Vince Gilligan uh, and Peter Gould, who they're both the executive producers. I think for, Bra for Breaking Bad, it was mainly Vince Gilligan, but Peter Gould became an equal for this show. But he was also there for Breaking Bad. So who are they and why are they important? Why are they good at what they do? What would you say to that? He is the creator. <laughs> Okay, so he's just good. I mean, he made the show. Yeah. Right? And yes. Vince Vince had a storied history before Breaking Bad. I think he was a writer on several high-profile shows, including The X-Files, right? Which you yes. are more than well acquainted with. Yeah, in fact, he cast Brian Cranston in the role of Walter White based off of a one-off Freak of the Week episode of X-Files. Really? Yeah. What episode is that? There's an episode, I can't remember when or where it is, I think it's in season five or six of X-Files, where Walter White, something's wrong with his brain, and he has to keep driving. Brian Cranston. Uh, oh, yeah. So, did I say Walter White? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian Cranston, something's wrong 
with his head like he has like a ringing in his ears and he has to keep driving and have like some sort of centripetal force to like keep his brain at bay otherwise he feels like his head's gonna explode so, so it's like so the whole episode is like moving and he he plays this part where it's pretty cool and then and then he dies in the end of the episode oh wow spoilers <laughs> his head goes pop does it really pop I can't remember, but probably knowing X Files, probably. So then, at some point, did he go to AMC and approach them with his idea for the show for Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad started because Vince Gilligan was was coming, trying to come up with some ideas for a show, and he read a a real life article about a na- a man named Walter White, who was a high school teacher turned meth cook. Really? Yes, Walter and White. Yep, you can Google it. And he was like, what an amazing premise for a show. So he came up with the pilot. He said he had the image of Brian Cranston standing there in his whitey tighties in the desert with a gun in his hand. That image was like imprinted into his brain. That's what he wanted to do. And that's why he made the show is that the whole show is a premise based off of a real life incident. Wow. And the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this isn't really a Breaking Bad cast, but well, it's deeply, <laughs> it's deeply intertwined. I would say to the story, yeah. and the premise, and and the characters of this show. And I think it's worth. I mean, we're doing an analysis episode. I think it's worth talking about Breaking Bad for a yeah. few minutes here. Would you? I would say most people are familiar with Breaking Bad, at least the concept of the show, right? Yeah. So, high school teacher turned to meth cook, mm-hmm. working for the cartel at some point. Yes, I, I would say the thing that Vince Gilligan did that made Breaking Bad so engaging, especially as the seasons went on, he started to really take his time with character development and storytelling. And obviously he made up a whole history for these characters and for why Walter White started cooking meth and, you know, having cancer and dealing with the existential questions and philosophical questions of morality and being able to kind of squish down or squash down your conscience for the worse to do dark and terrible things to essentially break bad. And that's the the point of the show. But the path that it took in telling that story when it ended spoilers, if you haven't seen breaking bad with Walter white dying, it felt good that he died and it, it ended in such a perfect way. I don't think I've seen a show end in a more perfect way than breaking bad did. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing that makes it, technically so perfect in my mind is it every step of the way was perfect as well because mm-hmm. and that's the thing that makes it perfect if i had to say like as objectively as possible by as many people that i've asked like what do you think is the greatest show ever made it's mostly breaking bad much like we were talking about the godfather a few episodes ago mm-hmm. when you talk to people about like what's the best show most of them would say breaking bad like most people would say godfather is the greatest film of all time yeah you know that's fair And especially because I think as far as like the pantheon of great shows are concerned, like The Sopranos and The Wire that you mentioned, those are still kind of like, in a way, they feel like monster of the week shows. Whereas Breaking Bad is this kind of narrative driven, you know, season long, series long character arc. Like it's a character driven show in the way that it's like everything is leading to the end. There's never like, I don't want to say there's never filler, but it feels like Breaking Bad is unique amongst those shows in that way. Maybe it's because it's in the 21st century. That's just how kind of television is made now. Right. Uh, You don't see a lot of uh, like case of the week shows that are on that level. Yeah. It's not like a CSI or something. 
or yeah. X-Files or something like that. But there's also such a deep roster of rich characters as well. It's not just Walter White's story. Yeah. There's so much depth to this show. And every single character, yeah. like Walter White yeah. or in this show, Jimmy McGill, is just very you know complex, very morally ambiguous, yep. like you said. But that's everyone. Yeah. And every they take such care with every character. And every character has a fleshed out backstory. And they always keep you guessing about what's going to happen next with these characters because they feel alive. You know, nothing is contrived. Nothing is forced. Would you say that that is the thing? That is the mark of this show yeah. being better than other shows? Yeah. It like is the like, thing that it does better. It is, is the pinnacle of character-driven writing, hmm. I think, in my opinion. Like, it's it's just, it's the master class. But there's also, you got to think about every needle drop is so unique and so perfect for the scene that it's playing with and we're talking about music like the needle drop of like a, a the soundtrack mm -hmm. and like most of them are songs i haven't heard before and then the way that it's shot we're talking city of and suburbia of new mexico and they just find cinematic portraits in the most mundane things yeah, it's, and they did it in New Mexico. It's incredible. Yeah. It, <laughs> they and, make New Mexico cinematic. So, But it's not just... That's the thing about the show is it's not just character development and yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. That is... Everything you said is true and more. Yeah, everything about it is just... Everything master, about it is masterclass. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. And that should be noted. The story is gripping. The characters are gripping. But so are the visuals. So is the music. The whole of the production. Yes. That's why. That's what I mean when I say technicals. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The technicals of everything, from direction, producing, writing. It's just I think the first thing production the, design. The first takeaway is just how good the characters acting. are. acting, and that reaches back to Breaking Bad as yes. well. Like that's yeah. why it is so iconic. Yes. And they only they only got better at their craft as they went on. Yeah. All right. Let's let's jump into Better Call Saul. Yeah. Uh, cue soundtrack here. <laughs> Drink one, drink two, drink three Long Island iced teas But your buddy's worse off and he throws you his car keys Blue lights are blinking four o'clock in the morning St. Trooper makes you wish that you'd never been born Better call Saul, better call Saul You wanna tell the world you're in love with a girl named Fran So you find an overpass and you say it with a spray paint can Blue lights start a blinking, those handcuffs click You know who to call and you better call quick Saul, Saul, you better call Saul You'll fight for your rights when your back's to the wall Stick it to the man, justice for all You better call Saul You better call Saul is the story of Jimmy McGill He is Saul Goodman, the same Saul Goodman that we know and love from Breaking, Breaking Bad Stick it to the man, justice for all You better call Saul best call now you hear i don't remember where he came in i think it was season, season two. two in an episode called better call saul <laughs> yeah he's the lawyer that was laundering laundering the money the money <laughs> for walter white for walter white yeah and jesse pinkman yeah and their stories became intertwined and they eventually when everything hit the fan towards the end of breaking bad what hit the fan uh everything Oh. But it was all the shit that hit yeah, the fan. Yeah, the shit. <laughs> <laughs> when the drugs hit the fan, uh, Saul, I think the last thing we saw of Saul, was it in the bunker in Breaking Bad? And he has that conversation with Walt. I think so, yeah. And I think that's the last we saw of him until Breaking Bad, so. 
Breaking Bad being Walt and Jesse's story primarily in their circle of characters, not Saul. That show wrapped up their storylines, but we didn't really have full closure on Saul. So Vince and Peter and their team decided to tell a prequel story going back in time a few years to show us the beginning of Saul Goodman, who is Jimmy McGill. That's his real name. And essentially uh, how he broke bad. Yeah. And how he, in doing so, became Saul Goodman. How how does a slimy lawyer become a slimy lawyer? How does he become morally well, gray? That's a great question, Stephen. Yeah. And it doesn't happen all at once. It takes several seasons does to get there. Does it not? <laughs> no. Are I, you sure? Well, Leopards don't change their spots or tigers don't change their stripes, whatever Sawyer says in Lost. I think... Uh, well, there, there's another, there's a conversation within a conversation to be had there. We'll get there. We will have that conversation today, but in many minutes from now for Saul, Jimmy McGill was always a flawed character. Mm. He was always driven towards, you could say the dark side. There was this allure towards the grift and towards the temptations of kind of going against the grain and being kind of edgy and trying to find his own way, carve out his own path through uh, dubious schemes and uh, different jobs he had, but it was never uh, what you might consider an honest living, or that's what his brother would say. You know, it was never what the conservatives would say. <laughs> yeah. So he he grew up learning very well at a young age that sometimes to survive you have to just do what you can, and so that came to be his kind of defining quality was that he would uh, a stick toitiveness. Yeah, he would just kind of do whatever he had to do as he saw fit to to make ends meet. And interestingly, going against his father, who ran like a like some sort of... It was like a corner con- store. Convenience corner store, drugstore, who was like a very uh, straight-laced... A righteous man. Morally conscious person. And so was his brother Chuck. Um, we find that out a little bit in the, the backstory. And Jimmy McGill, kind of like Gabe was saying, he would often blur the lines, sometimes take money out of the register or, or steal product off the shelves or, or give things to people. And sometimes for the benefit of like another individual without doing it in the, in the most clean cut way, transactional way that would well, be. T- typically it was self-serving because he saw his father typically, and identified yes, his goodness as a weakness. Yes. And the people would often take advantage of his father. So Saul shot out the other way in his character and said, I'm not going to be the guy that's taken advantage of. I'm mm-hmm. going to be the guy that takes advantage of other people. Yeah. So that I won't be weak. Yeah. And then Better Call Saul kind of picks up in the middle-aged years of... 2003. Jamie McGill. Yeah. Very early cell phones, stuff like that. Saul's probably in his 30s. He's working in the mailroom at his brother's law firm, Chuck yeah. McGill, Charles McGill. Is a is a the head partner of a law firm. This big firm in New Mexico, and uh, Chuck has brought Jimmy under his wing a little bit to sort of save Jimmy from this uh, wicked path, because <laughs> Jimmy is about to be incarcerated for a long time right before Chuck brings him out to New Mexico. So he gets him out of that bind and says, "All right, we'll just stick you in the mailroom with the firm. You can start to clean in your life." Uh, or get your act together. What was he going to be incarcerated for again? It was, amongst other things... Running those schemes? No, it was was that, but it was also like... It was something bad, like uh, public... Urination? I think they they keep mentioning he was like peeing through some dude's sunroof or something. That's funny. Might have been the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, Jimmy does kind of get his life together, and he starts to 
following his brother's footsteps with the law, and he goes to the University of Samoa or something, <laughs> and he becomes a lawyer. He gets his law degree, passes the bar after several attempts, and that's sort of what triggers our series as he becomes a practicing lawyer. Yeah, and he's coming up sort of at the same time of someone else who's in the mailroom, Kim Wexler. Mm-hmm. And they become friends, and they also decide to become lawyers around the same time and continue to be friends and kind of confidants as the show progresses. And lovers. <laughs> Eventually lovers. Yeah, they have a really special connection. And there's a kinship both through, no, not, Stephen's making. A sex connection. There's there's a shared experience through like hardship. <laughs> they have this uh, kinship the shared ex- like adversity in their childhood, but also it's yeah. it's it's on it operates on different levels. They also have like a shared love of you know classic film and television, for instance. Yeah, um, and so they bond in a lot of different ways, and they eventually become uh, very close, and they end up working together for a short time. And uh, the series follows their relationship and its ups and downs, and eventually its yep. termination. Spoilers. She also does not want to become her parents her mom in this instance, who was a lot like Jimmy. And we only get that through like one or two flashbacks to when Kim was maybe in junior high school. And that's all you need in a show like this. Just one or two flashbacks. We don't even get her flashbacks until like four or five seasons in. Seasons four or five. It's crazy. Yeah. But I instantly knew it was her when the casting was great for Mm -hmm. for young Kim. You Mm -hmm. could see it in the face. It's the same person. Mm Mm-hmm. Really good casting. As far as the show plays out, it's like Chuck versus yeah. Jimmy for the first three seasons. Um, his brother... Pretty neatly the first half of the show. Yeah. His brother sort of sees Jimmy as a, like a, a not stand-up citizen and eventually you know, thinks he's doing the right thing by, <laughs> by getting him banned or barred. Is that what it is? Uh, banned from the bar of being a lawyer. Is that what happened? He first he refuses his admission to. Oh, I'm become not. Sure. I'm not. I'm trying. I'm kind of like jumping forward. Sweeping. I'm in broad strokes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he he and then and then gets him to stop being a lawyer. Yeah. He, he tries. Him, yeah. He gets him banned from being a lawyer for a year, and then Jimmy starts to, to play a few mind tricks with him by tampering with evidence and things like that. Eventually, proving that Chuck has a psychological issue that they address many times throughout the show. He essentially Chuck starts to believe that he's allergic to electricity. Yeah. And then Jimmy eventually proves that it's a psychological issue, making him sort of unstable. But Chuck is firm in the belief that it's an actual uh, allergy and a medical condition. And he thinks Jimmy is just playing against him and, at some point, Jimmy pushes him so far over the edge, so deeply intertwined with corrupting, I don't know, Chuck's like center person, like center morality, that he kills himself, burns his whole house down with him in it. And Jimmy seems sad, kind of, for a few episodes. It's pretty intense, but very complicated. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm again, we're painting, I'm painting broad strokes here because I don't want to take up most of the podcast talking about the summary of the show, but yeah, that's essentially what happens. And then that launches into the other three seasons, which deals pretty heavily with 
cartel. You see Gus Fring, who is selling drugs and trying to make money. And he's laundering money through his uh, chicken restaurants that we've seen from Breaking Bad. Called Los Pollos Hermanos. Los Pollos Hermanos. Best chicken in New Mexico. Yeah. And he's kind of at odds with one of his other, like, rivaling people. Yeah, the Salamancas. Cohorts, yeah. They're Hector the Salamanca. Same, yeah, they're in the same cartel, but they uh, control different territory. Yeah. And so there's that going on. And then he there's the whole Mike Ehrmantraut stuff, which... That's been running since the beginning. Yes, that's been going since the beginning. But Mike's whole journey essentially finds his way to Gus Fring, where he starts working for him and uh, starts to find some German contractors to to build out the meth lab underneath the dry cleaning service that we have we saw in Breaking Bad. And that's a lot of the plot of the show as well. There's a lot of morally gray things that happen, <laughs> but essentially what happens is. Gus Fring's, his rivalry with Hector Salamanca turns sour. And there's a character named Nacho who's amazing in the show. He uh, poisons or something, Hector, and then puts him in a... in a. Hector has basically a stroke because I don't know if it was even poison or not because I think Nacho said he was just... Sugar? Swapped it out for sugar pills. Yeah. So Hector has a stroke and he becomes... Handy, like in- uh, Incapacitated? Yeah. Basically, he like... He can only control a, a little fin- bit of his motor function. Yeah. yeah. Very, very... That's where you see in the Breaking Bad, he's, like, dinging the bell the whole time. And... But that makes it so that one of the Salamancas, his name is Lalo, shows up. And Lalo is... Lalo. Is an amazing villain, amazing character. Shows up and starts just wreaking havoc on Gus freeing and, and Mike and Saul. Saul. And the whole time Saul is banned from the bar, he's just kind of trying to make ends meet and also trying to scheme for what he's going to do when he gets back. And yeah, it all culminates at a certain point. They try to get rid of Lalo cause he's such a wild card and uh, they're like, we just need to take him out so that we can control the cartel essentially. And there's an assassination attempt that involves Nacho. Lalo survives and then comes back to the States to take control but is sort of staying underground the whole time. Literally. Uh, they, they end up killing Nacho because they, they recognize that it was him that tried to organize the assassination attempts. Gus had to set him up. Yeah. And it's really sad because that, that to me was as impactful as like the, the Hank death in Breaking Bad because Nacho is just a lovable character. And he like, went out in just as badass a way. Yeah. It was me. You think of me, Hector. Yeah. Hector's just dinging his bell. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jimmy's a lawyer again. He's now practicing under the name Saul Goodman because one of the things that he realized he was good at was basically helping criminals stay out of prison by subverting the law a lot of the time um, and essentially controlling how the law system works to make it so that he will win. And he's really good at it. So he starts, he creates the pseudonym to you know appeal to uh, that kind of slimy lawyer persona that i was referencing earlier both jimmy and kim at this point there's a bunch of stuff going on with kim and her whole path as a as a lawyer and eventually she just decides she wants to just do good and help people but they decide to both kind of join forces and and kind of mess with 
a guy named Howard Hamlin. Howard, who was one of the friends of Chuck. He was one of the the partners with Chuck, right? Yeah. The other partner. At yeah, the law firm that they were at. So or that yeah, that Chuck was at before he killed himself. So they play this really massive con, like a long con on Howard. So just just to mess with him. And both Kim and Jimmy are like kind of getting off on it. Like they did this it because they liked it. Yeah, they did it because they liked it. Just like Walter. And <laughs> yep. And meanwhile, the long con is that basically make it so that everyone in his life views him as someone who's a coke addict and um, hiring sex workers, and and people start to believe it. It's character assassination. Yes, it's it's kind of brilliant. Uh, I don't even know how they came up with it. It's pretty amazing. They're sociopaths. Yeah, there you go. So and they're enjoying it, and then something happens. There's there's some sort of court hearing where. Howard's word isn't taken, you know, for what it should be because of the character assassination that has been going on because of the trick that they've been playing on him. And he comes over to congratulate them and Lalo shows up uh, at the same time to talk to Saul about what he knows about what's been going on between Salamanca and and Gus Fring, and he kills Howard, just straight up. So it's a byproduct of their plan being executed perfectly. So Howard, who is a main character, one like kind of a secondary main character throughout the show, now dead on their floor. They're freaking out because they didn't want him dead. They just wanted to mess up his life. They start freaking out. This is kind of the midway point of season six. And then... At some point, Lalo gets tracked down and killed. Oh, Gus Gus is the one to do it. That was a really good episode. Well, Lalo tracks down Gus inside of the yet-to-be-built meth lab under the laundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gus and, barely turns the tables. Yeah, Gus, but Gus is the one to kill Lalo, which is, I liked that because it was like kind of cool to see that it wasn't Mike, because Mike is the easy way out, the, the easy way to write that story. But the, mm-hmm. the harder way to write that story is like Gus is kind of getting a, a vengeance against another Salamanca. So, but Lalo's out of the picture. Gus Fring and Mike clean up the mess with Howard and they bury him and Lalo under where the meth lab is, under the dry cleaning place. He was there. They were there all of Breaking Bad and we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but all they really tell Jimmy is that his body's gone. And then the whole time of the show, we haven't even said this yet. They flash to the future where it's black and white. And it's based off of this line that Saul Goodman says in breaking bad saying like, if this all goes sour, I'll be working a Cinnabon in Omaha. Omaha. That's Nebraska, isn't it? Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll be working a Cinnabon in Omaha, you know, and he says it kind of off the cuff, but that's actually what ends up happening. He ends up working at a Cinnabon in Omaha. There's like a really funny irony there, obviously, in the show creation. And you see his life the whole time. He seems really just checked out and he's he's in hiding. He looks different. His hair is gone or very, very balding. And he's got a mustache and he's wearing glasses and a whole kind of disguise and, and living under a different name. He there's a whole thing that they keep flashing forward to at the season premiere and the season finale of every 
season of Better Call Saul that plays out in the latter half of the final season of Better Call Saul, the, the ones we just saw. Meanwhile, in the current timeline, Kim can't handle the all the all the lying and the manipulation and and the immorality that they uh, just accrued, and they, she decides that they're sort of bad for each other, and she takes off and ends their marriage because they did get married at a certain point for a whole different reason. <laughs> but um, they get divorced and they don't talk to each other. Then Saul very quickly we, we hardly see this at all goes on to do what he does as a lawyer and launder money for Walter White. And it catches up to him being in hiding the final kind of three to four episodes of the, of the show, a lot of which are in black and white. We're seeing it cause it's, it's in the future of uh, breaking bad and better call Saul. And he kind of decides like he's unhappy where he is. He, he tries to make some connections by calling them on like on a public pay phone calling his old life, seeing what's going on. He's kind of bored and he decides to kind of destroy his life there. And I use that word because that's, I watched a behind the scenes with Vince Gilligan and Bob Odenkirk. And that's what they said that he did. Like he was just, he, he blew up his life cause he, he didn't, he wanted to like he, every time he's close to happiness in this show, he just blows his life up again. Yeah. So well, that final detonation was like him stopping the running away. Yeah. It was him finally, as he said, I think, to Walter towards the end of Breaking Bad, like it was time to face the music and like own up to everything. Right. Exactly. Because he was just like, it wasn't a life. It was like he yeah. was... Half-life. It was half a life. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He was terrified constantly. and. Yep. So he runs into Carol Burnett uh, yep. and he starts, he starts <laughs> to con her and her son. And there's there's more to that story, but we'll skip over it for now. He essentially starts to run more schemes, more cons with her son in Omaha. And then after a while, Carol Burnett turns on to him and realizes he's a con man. She Googles con man from Albuquerque. Albuquerque. <laughs> and he pops up and she sees that it's him and she calls the police and they find him in a dumpster. Pretty <laughs> awesome actually that like that's how he was found i think but then he goes to trial he calls an old lawyer friend he tries to reconnect with kim at some point he does get in contact with her and or he basically challenges her saying like if you feel so guilty about what we did to, ha- to howard why don't you confess and that's what she does she confesses comes up with like a written statement she confesses to everything they did to howard to kind of clear his name and her conscience yeah this is, again, years after the fact, after the events yeah. of Breaking Bad. Six years, I think. Yeah, and yeah. she's been living in... Florida. Yeah, just like, and married to some schmuck. I don't think she's married. She's living with a dude. Well, like, she's she's just in a relationship, I think. I don't think she's married. Wow. Because, you know, he says, like, goodbye, and he goes home at the oh, end of the Oh, yeah, I guess so. But she's living in, like, a dream world. She's, like, it's, like, not even reality for her. You know, it's, it's a very non-exciting life. You know, she just hangs out with a bunch of Karens all day. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you were saying she, she comes back into the story. Well, yeah, she comes back into the story in the very final episode. They go to work out, and they want to put him in, in prison for like 150 years or something like that. It's life plus 86. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he basically talks his way out of it like he always does, down to eight years. 
just watched it and it was seven, but it might be different. It was like okay. seven and change. Yeah, it was like, uh, okay, down to seven years. So on the plane to the final that hearing. That was after he worked him down to seven. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the plane to the final hearing, he hears that Kim confessed and he decides to do the right thing finally because uh, it was what he challenged her to do and she did it. And I think he finally, for once in his life, felt, I don't know, like a change or like he, he wanted to own up to the things that he had done. Maybe it was guilt. Maybe it was, I don't know. We know that he's proud of what he did because he said so when he was confessing. But anyway, so he, the next scene, he goes to trial. Kim shows up. She's sitting in the back. It's his sentencing, essentially, his hearing. And I remember he's, he's at this point, he is basically going to get seven years from a life plus 86. And instead of telling the story that he told everyone in the hearing before, where they were trying to make the deal, he tells a totally different story and essentially confesses to everything he has ever done, including basically manipulating his brother into killing himself, including all the stuff with Lalo and Howard and, and Kim, essentially painting Kim out to be in the clear and uh, confesses to everything, including all the things he did with Walter White and saying he couldn't have done it without me. And, and he says that with a lot of pride in his voice because they made millions of dollars together, you know, doing that and that he couldn't have ran his whole operation without him. Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman, and then he gets sentenced for like 86 years, I think. Like basically until he dies. Yeah. And so the final scene, on his way to the prison, on the bus, there is a, a, a prisoner who recognizes him as Saul Goodman. Seems like they all do. And they all kind <laughs> of start to on the bus, all the people, because remember, he just helped, he helped criminals. Mm-hmm. They all start to like cheer and chant his name. And he kind of starts to smirk because cause it kind of seems like he's going to have a really good time in prison. <laughs> like, like he's going to, he's like pretty well known, you know? Yeah. And, and known for being a, a friend of criminals, essentially much like Jesus. This whole thing is a Christ figure. No, uh, no. And then, and then Kim shows up, uh, in prison as his lawyer, they go into a room. She gets them to take, his handcuffs off and just leave them two alone. And they sit there and just have a smoke, which is something that they often did in season one and two and three and just talked and shot the shit leaning against a wall, much like they do in, in clerks or something, you know, like uh, wallflowers, small rats kind of people. And they have this moment of just like, this is where we've, come and this is who we are and they're together and here's this moment that mirrors so many other moments in the show of them being in each other's presence and that's sort of all that matters in this moment and uh it's kind of cool because at this point it's still black and white but in that one moment the only thing that was in color was the fire the cinders on the cigarette that they were sharing which I think obviously was symbolic of like a spark in their relationship being alive. And that was in like a orange glow, you know, the orange glow of a cigarette. 
And then she leaves, and uh, the last shot, I think, is him going back to the courtyard in the prison, and there's a widening gap between them as she leaves and exits the prison, and he's going into the prison, and that's how the show ends. That took a long time, but <laughs> now our audience is informed. Everyone's caught up. That's the end. Spoilers for Better Call Saul, by the way. Yeah. I don't think we ever even said that. But. Full spoilers. It's all out there now. It's all on the table. That's all going off of memory, folk. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, yeah, I feel like... Saying all, like, you know... It's impossible writing. to talk about without... <laughs> without. Well, we I don't think we could talk about the show without summarizing it first, you know? But it's hard to summarize because there's so many little details. Yes. I mean, there's so many things I glossed over. Yeah. <laughs> like Nacho's relationship with his dad, Mike's relationship with his son's wife and, and his granddaughter yeah. and so forth. We didn't talk about the Breaking Bad cameos. We didn't talk about we didn't talk about Howard until season five. So yeah. There's just a bunch of stuff we didn't talk about. But like the nature of Chuck's relationship with his brother. Yeah. Or that Chuck was married. Yeah. I mean we didn't talk about Tuco in the in season one. We didn't talk about Tuco. there's a Hank cameo. So yeah, there's a lot to the show. It's extremely nuanced. It's almost like they had mapped out every scene and every story beat before they even wrote season one. That's how it felt to me, you know? I wonder if they did, because wasn't it a big point of pride in Breaking Bad? They were just kind of making it up as they went for the most part. <laughs> I don't know. Or at least that's what I feel like was... But there were, there were like, call. I mean, because I told you this before you started watching, but there are callbacks in this show to like season one that happened in like season four and five. I'm like, their headspace and the writing of it and everything is just so entrenched in the... The mythology. Yeah, the mythology of the show. Exactly. But I feel like good writers can just recall that, you know, and intertwine it as they go. But maybe, I don't know, maybe they did have a storybook that plotted out 63 episodes of Better Call Saul. Maybe. I don't know. That'd be I'd be very curious to know because if they didn't, you know, it's just all the more impressive. It is all the more impressive. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was really surreal watching it all in a short amount of time. And there, I took a lot of notes as I went, um, starting in season two. <laughs> it would take this, it feels like this is a show that's more befitting of like a podcast per episode, or at least per season, because there's so much you could dig into. For sure. Thematically, uh, plot-wise. 100%. You know, even just as like a art, you know, breaking down the way they shoot a scene, or the way they edit a scene. Like even just the cold opens were sometimes so cool. You know, especially towards the end as it gets more and more strange. Even like the opening animation or the Better Call Saul intro was like different in season six. And it was like uh, everything is very, every little piece of the show um, is very intentional with like moving things forward and been building on what came before. Like it, like how in that opening intro, the Better Call Saul tape, like it's like a tape intro. The VHS. Tape yeah, the blue intro. screen. It was like it was. It like, was. It only happened on the episodes where it was in the black and white timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the final four, was it? Because it had shown Jimmy watching his old commercials and his old life on VHS tape in the beginning. Yeah, and in the black and white, like you said, with the cigarette and the final scenes, all the coloring, bringing in those little bits of color in Gene, who is future Saul in Gene's life it was so cool to see that like what a great use of the medium like if you're gonna tell the black and white to denote your timeline just to have the 
presence of mind to say, oh, we can also use that, uh, like thematically, you know, we can use that to show how like drab Jean's life is and then to intersperse little bits of color in there to, to show that like spark of hope or, you know, his old life calling to him again, stuff like that. So cool. So cool to see just such a work of art in that way. Yeah. And just, I mean, just such a deft weaving of plot lines, paying respects to the old show. Like you mentioned all the cameos, how rewarding it was to see all those characters again from Hank and Marie to Jesse and, um, Walter, even hearing, uh, Skylar's name again, they mentioned her at some point just to give us that little bit of closure, you know? Oh yeah. Cause like you said, Saul calls, his old secretary at one point, I think her name is Francesca, and he's like checking in on everybody. It was almost just like the writers were giving the audience the chance to hear those things. Totally. And it did. It felt like it was the perfect closure to the story, not just for Saul Goodman, but for this world. Because I think Vince and his team are they're uh, interested in working on other IP at this point. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping for a uh, El Camino spinoff show, but... With Jesse Pinkman up, Jesse. In the, up in the snow. Jesse, it was funny hearing his voice again because it's gotten even deeper. Yeah. Like, he was the only character that I didn't fully buy as that version of himself. 100%. So, I don't really care about that, but... Well, it, it would be in current timeline. Yeah, that's true. Like, as an older version of himself, so it's not that. But it's also, like, how much could they do with that, you know? Yeah. But I thought, I thought the same thing about this show. I was like, how much could they do with that, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was constantly full of surprises. Making one more uh, Godfather reference, someone I heard it said that this is like the Godfather two to the Godfather <laughs> one of shows, <laughs> and I was like, wow, what a what a way to compare it because Godfather two is often contested to be as good of a movie, if not better than Godfather one. So it works on different levels too, because it's also like the way they split timelines, you know? Yeah. Which is in Saul, Better Call Saul does a lot of things with nonlinear storytelling in the editing. Right. Particularly towards the end, which was also cool. Yeah. I don't know. You mean all so cool or also cool? Saul cool. All man. Saul cool. Saul cool, man. <laughs> There's so much to say in so little time. Yes. I think the highlight for this show for me I mean as much as I loved my favorite part of the show like watching it as an experience was all of Mike's stuff especially in the first half of the show yeah um, by far Jonathan more, Banks yeah. just kind of he doesn't carry the show but it's like his stuff is so good Jonathan Banks is insane it's definitely more interesting especially in the beginning yeah his plot lines were more interesting than Saul's were but I bring that up to say and then it flipped yeah, it did. But I, I bring that up to say, uh, like the heart of the show, like the whole core of it, um, and why it sort of splits into something else halfway through the show is Chuck and Jimmy's relationship. And I think that is the thing that is most deserving of uh, conversation in my mind is like the complexity of their brotherly dynamic and how how much, I mean, as someone, we both have brothers. <laughs> and I don't, I think our, our relationships are different, and they're different from uh, the way Chuck and Jimmy yes. regard each other. Yes. But it was so fascinating, and huge credit to those performers to to really give it so much depth. I mean, because the writing is elevated by the actor, but 
the way Chuck, and they flesh this out through their flashbacks as well, the way Chuck resents Jimmy, and then the way Jimmy can't, like, understand that and just loves his brother so much, but also is just this, like, tragically flawed character who is always doomed, in a manner of speaking, and just... There's such a disconnect there mm-hmm. that it was so gut-wrenching right before Chuck died, the way he, like his last lines to Jimmy were something like, I've never really cared about you all that much. And I was like, holy, it all just comes like pouring out. And it is just so uh, insane the way mm-hmm. they built these characters up and then delivered it perfectly right at the end for each character. Like fast forwarding to Howard's death in season six, his closure with like approaching Kim and Jimmy and just being honestly Howard's a super nice guy great guy the whole time and he's trying to make amends so hard (laughs) but you have these two total sociopaths the winner takes it all yeah and they just it's ultimately it's everything comes down to Jimmy and Kim yeah they are the catalyst for everything that's happened and Kim's so fascinating too like in the first couple seasons I was like Kim's the only like good good good, like truly good I remember, I remember you saying that, like, <laughs> on day two when you had finished season two. Little did I know yeah. <laughs> that Kim would not only be a sociopath herself, but she would be the driving force it's so good. for Dark Jimmy in the back half of the show. It's so good, man. I was mind blown. And I the know. whole, every season, every few episodes, I was trying to get a read on their relationship. Yes, like, yes. Like, from, from the moment... <laughs> What was, I know was, what you're going to say. <laughs> I know where like, you're going. I thought for sure at multiple points in the back half of the yeah. show that Kim was setting Jimmy up yeah. because she resented him yep. for what he did in four or five yes. where he like he sold her out. 100% thought the same thing. And so like like I thought the whole marriage was yeah. like some kind of uh, pre pretext well, to... Okay, you said that, but like there was the moment where you thought that they're gonna break up for sure. Yeah. And exactly. instead, the end of the episode, let's get married instead. I was like, what is she thinking? What is going on? And then yeah. by the end of the show, you realize how flawed Kim is. Yeah. And it's so brilliant yeah. the way it just builds on itself as the show goes. Well, I mean, it, there's something to be said about being able to, I mean, watching characters that feel real. Is there. They're all flawed. These are deeply, every character is deeply flawed. Some more than others. <laughs> and they're causing havoc in in other people's, and just, I would say, less flawed people's lives. And that's what Breaking Bad was, and it's similar here. But there's also something, you know, we've said it a hundred times already, but there's so much amazing quality in the writing to be able to write a character like that. Yeah, and it's all built up through little moments, yes, too. It's yeah. all earned every step of the way. Every episode has these little... Super earned. Inter- interactions, like even these little interstitial scenes, which oftentimes you're thinking, what does this matter? Yeah. Like, but every little bit yeah, counts. And yeah. even for the smaller characters, like I mentioned earlier, like the like, he's not he's kind of like a primary character for most of the show, but Nacho yeah, is wonderful. this guy who is kind of just strung along because of everyone else's doing. What's his, his name? Who played him? Michael Mando. Oh, yeah, Michael Mando. Yeah, I mean, just another standout. In an, he is the real Mandalorian. <laughs> his name is literally Mando. Yeah. Uh, as Nacho Varga, and even like some of these gangbangers, the way it humanizes them and doesn't humanize others. In these little scenes, like the way he, every every scene he has with his father where he's like pleading with his father to just right. stay away and be safe. Yeah. And his father can't understand him because he's caught up in the game, as Mike calls it just heart-wrenching 
Even characters like Gus, who we know so well from the past, I love the way they flesh him out. And there's this, the last scene we have, I think, of Gus in this show, which I had to think about for a long time. And it was actually maybe the, the like character building moment that perplexed me the most. And I had to like do some digging online to see what other people were saying to figure out like what the intention was behind the scene. Hmm. Was Gus at the wine bar? Oh. Remember that? I, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm interested. And I had no idea... I mean, I, I kind of knew, but I didn't really understand fully because I can't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't remember Breaking Bad very well. And I know they, they kind of show you Gus's story in Breaking Bad. A little bit. Did, Not I as think, much as we have doesn't here. Doesn't he wipe out the cartel in Breaking Bad? You think so, yeah. Because I've seen that scene recently, but it wasn't in Better Call Saul. Yeah. Anyway, at the wine bar, Gus Fring, this is right after, like, they've resolved everything, Lalo's dead, and construction has started in, on the meth lab. And he's like, he comes out to this wine bar and he's just having a drink. Mm-hmm. And he has this wonderful little moment with like the sommelier yeah. or whoever's there. Yeah. And they're having a conversation and the sommelier is pointing this, um, he's painting this beautiful picture of uh, wine of wine in Fran- or France or somewhere a with vineyard, a story. Yeah, something. And Gus is sitting there and then the guy goes away. He's going to come right back to bring him some, some more wine. Yeah. And, and Gus gets up and he walks away. Yeah. And I was like, what? I mean- even without like the little bit of uh, contextual uh, importance that like Gus might be gay, did not think about that. But. There is such a, an amazing bit there, like beyond that, that is like Gus Gustavo Fring can't allow himself even the right. smallest bit of happiness. Yes, yeah, that he is so consumed by his overall goal to uh, to win and to destroy the yeah. Salamanca and destroy Eladio and destroy the cartel yeah. because of his history with yeah. Max being killed by Hector. Yeah, that he cannot allow himself even a small moment of happiness or weakness, however Gus thinks of it. And he just leaves, he walks away. And you can see, obviously we know how good Giancarlo's like facial acting is, but the way he just turns it off and walks away, it was so uh, Im- impactful to me. And I was like, it just re- put everything into perspective, realigned that character for me moving into Breaking Bad, you know, down the line where I, yeah. you meet that that guy who is, who is a killer, but even he has that humanity to him. Like mm-hmm. he has that little bit mm-hmm. that every character has in this show mm-hmm. or almost every character, you know, I don't know where Tuco's humanity is or, or Hector, but they have that little bit where you're like, Oh, that was, that was crazy. Yeah. I interpreted that scene a little bit differently. I, I kind of, I always ask myself the question, what's Gus's motivation? Yeah. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, what does he have? Like, what does he enjoy? Nothing. Except his goal. Uh, yeah. And so, but that scene at the wine bar was like, okay, at least he, he enjoys and seems to know a fair amount about wine, which at the end of the day could be a reason to go home and enjoy a nice glass of wine. But to me, when he gets up and walks away, it shows that no matter what, even in the moments where he has the opportunity and the safety to enjoy himself, he's still paranoid. And that's, that's who he is like down to core because he, he has to be that way. Otherwise he will not survive. So it it was kind of telling of his character to me as, as a a person who is in constant survival mode. Yeah. That's how I kind of interpreted that scene. But yeah, I mean, we could analyze every scene (laughs) of this show exactly like that. That's how nuanced this show is. I keep saying that word today, but that's because there's so much tender loving care that goes into this show that went into this show that it's it's so hard not to 
continue to just call it out how good and beautiful and well organized it all is. <laughs> you know? Oh, I know. Oh, you know, yeah. If there was a way I had to summarize or condense like the ideas, like the key themes and like conceit of this show into like uh, a nutshell so that I could sell it to people, like what, what Better Call Saul is about on its own, but also in conjunction with Breaking Bad. Themes of like regret and which we, we, we hit hard in, in the last few episodes as well with like a lot of Saul or Jimmy's reflection on his own life. And he's asking characters in different timelines, like, what do you regret? Like, or he asks them specifically about the time machine. He's like, if you had a time machine and you could go back and change these things, you know, not be who you are, but change those things about yourself, what would it be like? And he asks different people. He asks Mike, he even asks Walt in <laughs> the flash forward flashback of them in the bunker. So it's fascinating to hear the different characters' responses because Saul, and he doesn't even, he approaches it at an angle. He doesn't even consider it as regret, which is what Walt tells him. He's like, that's an absurd premise. You're talking about regret. <laughs> right. But Saul doesn't really look at his life as regrets. And that all comes to a, to a head in that last season he talked about where he kind of takes credit with pride for everything that he's done in his life. He also, in the times that, I think it was only Walt that asked him, what would you do? He only cared about money and, and getting ahead. Yeah. But I wonder if like, I'm, I'm still debating this. That was this. like a, a guys. Yeah. I'm still debating it if that was right. like who he really was because we see, yeah. and this is made most evident, like as soon as Chuck dies, that he is repressing so much shit yeah. in his own life. Yeah. And uh, one, one, somebody online I saw put it beautifully, like when we're having the flash forwards to Saul during the events of Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. when he's waking up in his own bed from the get-go in waking, he is immediately Bluetooth in the air and he's going to work. Like Saul can't for a moment sit as Jimmy or Gene in the future timeline can't for a moment like be Jimmy because Jimmy embodies to these, to Saul and to Gene like, weakness and not just weakness but also like vulnerability and being hurt as he has been throughout his life especially right. with his brother chuck right chuck devastated he like destroyed jimmy mcgill yeah like that's when saul goodman walks onto the stage mm. so it was almost that's like good, saul goodman good saul goodman taking ownership of his life and that final scene in front of the judge you right. know being sentenced to prison was kind of like holistically mm-hmm reconciling maybe mm -hmm. internally mm -hmm. but also for the world to see you know those personalities that he would the jimmy mcgill yeah. and i think he even says towards the end at some point like my name is jimmy mcgill yeah like he's finally come back to being like it'd be like you know kylo ren coming back from the dark side <laughs> and that in his final moments you know as a free man he's right. like i am before he dies <laughs> yeah i'm jimmy mcgill again right you know it's i don't know and that was really impactful because like walt didn't have that walt died as he was, even mm. though he, he experienced a little bit of redemption in saving Jesse, Jimmy gets to, and again, signified by that little spark of hope in the cigarette, maybe, uh, you know, right. he has this hope for the future. Yeah. Like he could be redeemed and live once again as Jimmy McGill. Well, okay. So there's, there's a question there that I've often asked myself and much greater thinkers than I ask these sorts of existential questions. Like at the end of the day, when all is stripped away and you're left with just yourself, who are you? Do you have a clean conscience at that point? And so I think in that courtroom, that was him, you know, essentially getting to a place where he could have a clean conscience and 
almost like build anew, even though he's in prison, he can safely sleep soundly, you know, with, with a clear conscience and not have to really worry as much, you know, looking over his shoulder or like sabotaging his life anymore because he's, he's at the place now where he's admitted who he is. Yeah. And, and his wrongdoing is and he still wrongdoings. is that person though. yes well i mean he's still the same flawed because jimmy was flawed from the start he was slipping jimmy before he was saul Ooh. but like you said i think he can find peace in acknowledging yeah those the, the, the parts peace, of himself the peace is the thing i think we all seek as people and i think jimmy was always seeking that as well and could never find it and was trying to look for it in the controlling of his own environment by way of coercing and manipulation etc so i i do wonder like like you were just saying sort of like that that spark of the cigarette the hope kind of like will he actually live peacefully in his conscience for the rest of his days inside the prison or will he continue to be the same person and that's that's kind of the question of the show i think right like and the, and the same question I I posed earlier, like does does a leopard change their spots? I don't I don't know. I think Chuck was right when he said that Jimmy will never change. But don't you think a person, even in their like, a with age, I well here, and let perspective me, <laughs> and much come maturity. Let me and, clarify. I think a person, uh, oftentimes can change, has the ability to change. But I don't think Jimmy McGill what is going to get better. Really? Yeah. I mean, he admitted to everything he had done. But that is who he is. It's not about admittance. It's about who he is. <laughs> and he is slipping Jimmy. Like, uh, not that he's, like, irredeemable. And it doesn't matter whether or not he's a good person. But that is, like... But if he continues to be that person, isn't that essentially saying he's irredeemable because he will always be that person? Well, that's the complexity of the character. Is is <laughs> Jimmy McGill a good person? Yeah. I don't believe in the idea of a good person. I think there Ooh. are good and bad behaviors. Do you believe in God? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. <it> get, <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't actually mean for you to answer that question. No, I know. I'm saying I don't know like how far um, <laughs> it's worth hearing what I have to say about that. Extrapolating? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. My point is like... <laughs> I, redemption is a, is a tricky thing. I think Jimmy can continue being that person that he is and still be like at peace with himself. You know, whether yeah. or not he's he's clearly not redeemed in the eyes of the law, <laughs> but uh, like you're gonna for, say in the eyes of the Lord, <laughs> in the eyes of the Lord as well. But for his own peace of mind, like spiritually, you know, internally, but also with like his relationship with Kim, which is you know healed or healing. I think he yeah. is. He's found his closure. And he is reconciled uh, internally. Mm. And he he's dealing with it now. Like, the fact that he's in prison, I think, is what he wanted, obviously, because he threw away his reduced sentence just to, like, to get this kind of what he thought he was owed, you know, by the cosmos. You know, he's living out his, his penance, you could say. I don't know. It's It's tricky. I wouldn't make any... Even, even like, if I knew what Vince and Bob were thinking with that character when they made those decisions i wouldn't presume to if a, per, if a person goes as far to throw away the opportunity for freedom to be incarcerated and does that by way of telling the truth the admittance of your sins essentially doesn't that mean 
that that person has changed. Like just, just the act of telling the truth for the purpose of having a clean conscience, clear conscience. Doesn't that mean that he's changed? Maybe. I feel like we've seen Jimmy uh, tell the truth in, in different ways before. But not like this, though. That's true. And, and I'm not saying, I, th- I think there's an element to, in which you're correct, that he may never change. However, I think even if he still is that person, the attempt at doing right or correct in the world is the thing that makes a person viewed as changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so it seems like he's making an attempt to, to not only clear his own conscience, but make recompense for his past sins. Maybe and Saul's just grifting the viewer. He's done it before. I mean, that's an <laughs> excellent point. The morally gray area of the, sh- that the show forces the audience to live in is impeccable. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And, and well, you're always second guessing. Yes, the authenticity, even of the in character. the end, after he's yeah admitted his past sins, you're wondering, is it genuine? Like, is it real? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's food for thought. I like just thinking about it. I don't really want an answer. You know, I don't want to know. I don't want an answer either. I don't know why. I don't want to know what happens. It to would. Jim it would take its perfection of the show that it is yeah. and make it imperfect if there was an answer. So I'm. I'm glad we don't have an answer. I think the best shows, the best shows end, and the reason that they end so perfectly is they leave the mystery box open rather than trying to close that box. So yeah, and that's just one facet of it too. Like yeah. if, if we had more time, totally. there's so much more I'd love to talk about from commentary on like the perpetuation of the cycle of violence to mm. of like humans as Nacho's dad talks yeah. about but also yeah. like hubris and like arrogance and how that's such a a, a galvanizing force for this story right. and, and it's embodied by so many different characters and all the different philosophies that are presented throughout the show um yeah there's there's just so much to chew on here but totally. that was that was one of the things. It being Saul's story, I think it was fitting to like have him be the focal point of this podcast. So, yeah, I would ultimately say, I mean, in in summarizing now, that I think Better Call Saul is a better show than Breaking Bad. Wow! Like from a technical standpoint. However, I think Breaking Bad continues to retain its title of. <laughs> best show ever created the, the because it came first you that, know yeah that's fair yeah and it's it's because best show ever created isn't just in my opinion saying that it's 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 technical attributes mm-hmm. make it so that it's the best show it's also at the time that it hit yeah and the time that it hit for what it did at that time yeah is like what made it what it is you know it's like it's rooted in its context yeah. for the time you know Friends wouldn't be friends unless it happened in the nineties and, and sure. I mean Lost, two thousand four. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah, it wouldn't be what it is. Like Lost literally changed what it means for storytelling on broadcast television to telling stories over streaming. Like it, it literally paved that that path so that stories could be told differently on broadcast network television, which is amazing. Yeah. And Breaking Bad followed right after Lost. And, and it's like took it and ran with it, you know, that idea of, yeah. of what story could be. And now we're getting stuff that might be the next, yeah. you know, thing. But I think Breaking Bad was like the ultimate version of yeah. what you could do. Definitive first yeah. time. Yeah. 
or, or all time because it like all time it like did time. it did what sopranos did it took from yeah. sopranos from lost and it was like the ultimate idea of what you could do with a, a show on broadcast network television that plays both on broadcast and on streaming perfectly yeah you know, beginning and ending perfectly so and but better call saul i think because of we're in the era that we are now with television and streaming i think it's like technically and storytelling wise a better show all around start to finish which is why i was i was saying like godfather 2 i would agree with you and i would say i definitely need to rewatch breaking bad and i wonder if it'll have added context or added like feeling and emotion having just watched better call saul and i haven't seen el camino yet even so <gasps> i know i got to know how jesse's story ends i think they gave a lot of Easter eggs, even to El Camino. There's tons of stuff that they reference in Better Call Saul toward El Camino. For, yeah, because there's a whole bunch of stuff. You should, you should if you do watch El Camino, I'd, I'd recommend watching Breaking Bad again first if you were going to. Yeah. Otherwise, El Camino won't really mean anything to you. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, that's our Better Call Saul episode. Um. Again, we could talk so much more, but thank you for joining us on the TCP on this journey. Gabe, yeah. If you had a time machine, oh no! <laughs> if I could go any any time, yeah. If you could go, you could go anytime. <laughs> I would go right now. Uh, I'd probably go back as far as I can. Birth of existence. That's like the question. Let, let me see. Whatever the machine is capable of doing. Does any time before human consciousness interest? Like, if you were to go back before mankind was even a thing, like, is that interesting? Like, you'd probably just get eaten by it. Yeah, but that would answer so many questions. A prehistoric animal. Yeah. True. Our, dino- our dinosaurs feathered. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>